0: So in Acts chapter 12 is where we are this morning. Acts chapter 12, uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there, I invite you to do so. We'll have the scripture on the screen, and there are Bibles underneath the seats around you if you want to follow along. And as always, if you don't own a Bible, um, those black hardback Bibles under the seats, that's a free gift to you. We want you to take a copy of God's Word home with you. So if you don't own a Bible, take one of those with you, it's yours. So um, through the Acts sermon series, we've been... Uh, looking at this story that God is writing with the church and we're calling it the unstoppable church because we're seeing that despite man's best efforts to, uh, to slow the church down or to stamp it out, that ultimately the sovereign hand of God is blessing the church and the more that man comes against the church through persecution, uh, the more the church seems to grow and flourish. And so it truly is an unstoppable church, and we're noticing that um, not only does uh, the story of the book of Acts tell the story of the church, but when we get to the end of the book of Acts, that's not the end of the story uh, with Acts 28. As a matter of fact, the story goes on through the New Testament, and the story goes on. Even today, right now, you are living as a part of the story of the unstoppable church, well, as we think about that today, what I want to encourage you and I to think about this morning is how our individual stories weave together with one another to make up the story of the church. Because ultimately the church is people. Individual stories that God is writing, weaving together our stories with one another to write the story of the church. And so today we're going to see in Acts chapter 12, several different stories unfold, God weaving these stories together. Now, just to bring you up to speed, the last two chapters in the book of Acts have been really exciting. A lot of exciting things are happening. Finally, this gospel message has left Jerusalem and has begun to cross geographic borders and cross Ethnic and racial borders. Uh, Truly, the gospel of Jesus is for anybody who would believe. And we've been celebrating that through Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11. Well, today things are going to get hard again. Because remember, the fires of persecution have been heating up in the backdrop of the church. And what we're going to see today is that it goes up even another notch. And so we'll start in verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. and So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Let's stop for a minute and talk through what we've read so far. So up until this time, the, the persecution that the church was encountering was actually from the Jews. The Jews were getting permission from the Roman government to unleash persecution on the Christians. But what's happening now in verse 1 is Herod is getting involved. And he himself is rolling up his sleeves and laying hands on the church. So now what's happening with the persecution is it's about to go up another notch. Let me take a minute just to let you know a little bit about Herod and what's going on. So this is actually Herod Agrippa I. He's the grandson of Herod the Great. He, Herod the Great was the Herod when Jesus was born, attempted to stamp out every uh, Jewish boy within a certain region, region to kill Jesus. That was Herod the Great. Well, this is now his grandson, and he's brand new to power. And so what has happened, and what we've read so far, is he, he has issued um, this mission to stamp out the church. And so what he's done is he's gone after um, the inner three from among Jesus' disciples. So he said, hey, where do we start? Let's start with the three who were closest to Jesus, which were James, his brother John, and Peter. And so in these first few verses, he's gone after James and Peter. Now what we're reading here is this, that James was first up he arrested James first and killed him with the sword and we know from church history that James was first arrested then he was drug out out into public under Roman guard and then beheaded by a sword and up until the last minute he did not recant his faith in Jesus as a matter of fact quite the opposite The people who watched James walk to his death were so impressed with his faith and his courage and his allegiance to Jesus that one of the soldiers who was marching him out became a Christian from the jail cell to the gallows. And that soldier uh, was so impressed with James and his faith, not only did he repent and become a Christian, but he said, you know what, James, if they're going to kill you, I'm going with you. And he himself gave his life there with James. Then, after that, because of the applause of the Jews, Herod, with this new thirst and hunger for power and and to have the pleasure of the people, said, Well, let's do this again. Let's find Peter and let's arrest him. But now it was the time of Passover. And so the Jews wouldn't execute prisoners during Passover. We learned this with Jesus' story. They had to wait till Passover was done, and then they would execute. It's so what happened to Jesus, and this is what's happening with Peter. He's holding him under arrest until the Passover is finished, and then he's going to take him out and do the same thing to Peter. What's the church doing? Fervently praying. Now, I want to do our best today to try to get inside of the story and what's going on here. Let's ask this first question: what, what do you think the church was praying for? Now think about it. They're feeling the heat of persecution. Any day, any one of them could have been dragged out to the gallows to be beheaded. James has been arrested and killed. Now Peter has been arrested, and what do you think they're praying for? Well, ultimately, we don't know, right? We just know that they were earnestly praying and pleading to God. They're probably asking God to be merciful to Peter. Allow Peter to get out of prison. If that's not your will, God, right? Continue to lead your church. Continue to guide us as your people. Glorify your name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't know what they were praying, but we know they were earnestly seeking the Lord during this time. Now, I want to take a moment just to kind of paint the backdrop here. So first of all... Uh, Luke introduces us to Herod by simply calling him Herod, which causes us, as we've already talked about, to think about Jesus' suffering and death, right? And not only that, we're at the Passover. It's like the, right, the night where Jesus had shared the Passover meal with his disciples. They broke bread and shared the cup, and then what happened? They went out to the garden to pray. Shortly after that, Jesus was arrested, went to false trial, suffered and was put to death. So the kind of the backdrop to this narrative, right, is is Jesus' own suffering. And and so for these guys, we hear the Apostle Paul talk about knowing Christ so intimately that he even knows him in his suffering. These early early Christians sensed that when when God allowed them to suffer for their faith, that they were participating in a small way in the suffering of Jesus and, and getting to know him even more intimately. Now, we don't know what they were praying for, but we know a lot about what we pray for, don't we? And I just wonder, when we pray for things, what do we think is actually happening? We talk about it here often at Solid Rock, about our prayer life. Because our prayer life says so much about our faith, doesn't it? And what we think about God and who He is and what He can do. And I think so often in our prayer life, what we're praying for is the easy way. Matter of fact, anybody by show of hands prayed this last week for the hard way? Right? We tend to bring our hard situations to God, and then we lay before him a couple of easy options. Just pick one, God. But we're, we gravitate towards what? The, 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 the easy way. The, the, the way that, that, that leads us towards what's most comfortable. And we forget this greater reality that oftentimes in the hardness is where God brings about the greatest good in our lives. Isn't this how we share our testimonies? We talk about the hard seasons of life that we went through. We'd never want to go through it again, but how God brought goodness out of that hardness. And I would venture to say that that's that's where goodness comes from is through those hard seasons in our lives. We don't know what they were praying for, but we definitely know what we tend to pray for. God, here's a problem. Here's how I want you to solve it. Now, if I'll just pray with enough faith, it'll go that way. And we don't really realize what's actually happening during our prayers to the Lord. I want to kind of talk for a minute about prayer. So first of all, um, Psalm 34 teaches us so much about prayer. The psalm that says in Psalm 34, this famous psalm, delight yourself in the Lord, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. We like the back half of that verse. Right, so we bring the desires of our heart to the Lord and we say, God, do this stuff. Make these things work out according to my will. And we forget that we first need to delight ourselves in the Lord and then he will give us the desires of our heart. Commit your way to him and he will respond to you. And so for prayer, what, one of the things we need to realize is that most often what's happening in prayer is not that we're changing God's mind, but that he's changing our hearts. And he's aligning our hearts with his desires. Now think about that. How many times have you, have you prayed for something over and over and over and over and over again and wondered, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? Maybe, just maybe, God is saying, why aren't you changing your heart? It's not what I desire to do. Now, I think there's a, a perspective that plays into this that we need to talk about. I think that for us, we, we need to understand we see the world through a certain set of lenses, don't we? First of all, we see the world through temporal lenses or temporary lenses for most of us life is about what's happening right now this is what I want right now this is what I feel right now and it's so difficult for us to look beyond right to see the bigger picture of what's happening parents we try to do this for our kiddos I know you don't want to study for this test right now I know you don't want to do this thing right now in this moment but trust me when you see the bigger picture it's worth it right we take that from God's perspective has an eternal perspective and we look at our small moments and we say, God, this is what I want right now and this is what I want to happen. We have to understand that God, a loving Father, sees a bigger picture. He has an eternal perspective. We also see things through external lenses. We see each other oftentimes on the outside. And so often what's on the outside trumps what's on the inside for us. We're so fickle, aren't we? We're so caught up with outer appearances either of ourselves or one another that we often miss what's on the inside. See, this is why God chose King David. The scripture tells us that while David was the smallest of the brothers, and there wasn't much about him that looked like a king, what what did God speak through the prophet? Man looks at the outside, but God sees the inside, and he could see David's heart. See, we, we oftentimes look at the world through these external lenses, and we don't see the true beauty on the inside of a person. We don't often celebrate character and integrity and honesty and humility because we're so busy fixated on the external, whether it's of ourselves or one another. And those, that plays out in our prayer life, doesn't it? The way we pray, we pray about temporary things, we pray about external things so often. And so in order for us to pray what God wants, we've got to make Him our delight. And He begins to change the desires of our heart. And here's what's awesome, church. When that happens, you begin to pray for what God wants to do. That's powerful. That is powerful. Think about that. When you begin to align your prayers with the will of the sovereign God of the universe, he begins to work through your prayers. That's an amazing thing. I love how John Piper describes it. He says it's an amazing thing uh, that God wants to act in our lives at all right? That should blow us away, but it's doubly awesome or doubly exciting that he chooses to do the work in our lives through our prayers or through the prayers of the saints. So that's one thing that's going on during our prayer life. The second thing is happening, and I want to point this out. We were, somebody mentioned this a few weeks ago in community group. Um, I don't know if you've, if you've paid much attention to uh, the book of Revelation, but when we were in Revelation chapter 5 as a church uh, just a little over a year ago, um, we saw something amazing about the prayers of the saints. You guys remember that? So it's the throne room of God, this Revelation 4 and 5 imagery. You've got a throne. You've got the lamb who was slain. You've got four living creatures just floating in the air. You've got thunder and lightning, and the, and the glory of the Lord is like smoke, and the elders are bowing down in the presence of Jesus. This is amazing scenery. Listen, listen, listen to this. Revelation 5, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding, this is what I want you to see, a harp. In golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That description that every prayer you pray, Christian, and every prayer that has ever been prayed to God in faith has been collected in this moment, and it's all gathered together like incense to the Lord. Now, in this moment of eternity, does it matter what you asked for and whether or not God did what you wanted him to do? It doesn't. Your prayers are bigger than that. Every prayer is an expression of worship to God. I believe in you. I trust in you. I believe your ways are better than my ways. God, here's what I want, but don't do what I want. I'm a fool, right? Don't do what I want. I can't see past today. Oh, God, do what you believe needs to be done. And here's what we know in faith. Our God is a good God, and he's good even in the hard moments he's good in just a minute in peter's life when he rescues him from prison and he was good in james's life as he escorted him to the gallows you see we we read this story and we go oh poor james well that's not fair why did james get the sword and and peter's about to get rescued by an angel like how's that fair but if we could see it from an eternal perspective, from James's perspective, what would he say? Hey, I was first there. You kidding me? I got to get there first. I'm excited about that. And it doesn't mean that, that those few last steps up to the gallows for James, his heart wasn't beating, adrenaline wasn't flowing, thousand thoughts running through his mind. Did I make the right decision? Did I make the right decision? Did I make the right decision? We don't know. Chances he was struggling and wrestling. But in the end, James got to be in the presence of the Lord first. That's eternal perspective, isn't it? And I I don't see that in our lives very often until we are sitting next to the bed of a loved one who's suffering about to pass away and it's only then that we begin to pray, oh God, would you take them from this suffering? And what are we saying in that moment? I believe that the next step for, for my loved one is better than what they're experiencing right now in this moment. Alleviate their suffering, alleviate their pain, Take them. It doesn't mean, mean we're excited that they're going to pass away. It means what? We believe that what comes next is better. Whether you're, whether you're dying in, in, a, in a hospital bed or you're James on your way to the gallows, you're saying the same thing. I believe that what comes next is better than what happens in this life. So I don't believe the church was just, just asking God, oh, please, God, give Peter an easy way out. Oh, God, please make this easy. I believe they were worshiping God, saying, God, whatever you see fit to happen, make it happen. Don't do what we want to be done. Do what you want to be done. And so what happens after this is truly amazing because God steps in, and and, and so Peter is going to get rescued. Now, before we think about Peter and go, well, the reason God rescued him is because this is faithful Peter, right? It's because he was praying and worshiping and witnessing. No, Peter was asleep. Peter was asleep when God decided to rescue him. Matter of fact, the angel has to jab him in the ribs to wake him up. So an angel of the Lord comes to Peter, pokes him in the side, and says, Peter, get up. Peter's like trying to wake up. Get dressed. Put on your cloak. Come with me. And we know that he's still not fully awake because it says that he thought he was dreaming at first. This isn't about Peter's faith. It's just about how God chose to work in this moment to rescue Peter from prison. Peter gets out of prison, and he's out in the, in, the, in the freedom of the fresh air, and he begins to wake up. and He says, okay, where am I going to go? Well, he heads over to the house of the mother of John, Mark. Okay, this is Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark. So Peter heads over to his house, his mom's house, and a, and a young girl answers the door. Uh, her name is, is Rhoda, and, uh, and she's like so excited when she sees Peter, she doesn't unlock the door She's like, whoa, it's Peter. And she takes off running and goes, and like she's in the other room telling all the adults, all the grownups, right? Peter's at the door, Peter's at the door. And they're like, come on, Peter's in prison. Peter's gonna get killed tomorrow. Like, Jane, what, come on. No, no, seriously, come see. And so the adults come and they see, and Peter's still out there knocking. Somebody let me in, seriously. And so they open the door and they let Peter in and they celebrate together. Now, I wanna think about this. You see, we read this story, and, and we think, man, poor James. Think about it from James's dad's perspective. Now, we know a little bit about James' dad. So you remember Matthew 4, when Jesus first came to Peter and Andrew, they were fishing, he said what? Hey, guys, drop your stuff, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Then Jesus goes to two other brothers, James and John, who were with their father, Zebedee, And they were on the side of the shore mending the nets. So they probably were done fishing or about to go fishing. And Jesus comes to them while they're in the boat with their dad. And he said, hey guys, you come follow me. I'll make you fishers and men. And Matthew records that immediately they dropped their nets and left their nets and their father to go follow Jesus. That was a big deal. In this culture and time, boys didn't leave their fathers. Daughters did daughters got married off and they moved in with boys who lived in their father's homes who did what their dads did for a living. They were carpenters. The sons were carpenters. Fishermen. Sons were fishermen. James and John were just doing what their dad did. So this was a big moment for them when they dropped their nets and left their dad. What they were saying is we leave the story that we've been writing with our life and Jesus, we trust you to write a better story. Now, did James fully know what was going to take place? Probably not. But we know that Jesus told him along the way some things. He pulled him aside at one point and said, hey guys, before you take another step further, I want you to count the cost, what this could cost you to follow me. And Just a little bit later, he stopped him again. He said, hey guys, listen, before you follow me any further, I need you to understand something. If you're gonna come after me, if you're gonna follow me, you need to be willing to take up your cross, deny yourself daily, and then come after me. Think about that from Zebedee's perspective. Why did my son have to die? And why did Peter get to live? You ever ever had that moment with God? Why my family, God? Why me? Why did I have to get the pink slip? Why did my loved one have to get the cancer diagnosis? Why me? And what we're seeing is that despite the way the story unfolds, whether it's the hard version or the easy version, God is ultimately in control. And what God has is better than what we can provide for ourselves. Whether it's the destiny of James or the destiny of Peter. Do you believe that today, Christian? When you you choose to follow Christ, you are not choosing an easy path right? The grass still has to be mowed. Bills still have to be paid. Kids still get sick. Husbands and wives still bicker and argue. You still have to work in a fallen world and operate in a fallen world. It's hard. The promise isn't, if you want to come after me, come take the easy way. What Jesus is saying is, if you're going to come after me, it's going to be a hard journey, but out of the hardness, I will bring to you a goodness you could have no other way. And God says to us as a loving father, trust me, your momentary hardness is gonna give way to eternal glory. And in the end, you'll have James' perspective. And you'll say, it was worth it. It was worth every ounce of pain, every tear shed, every hard moment was worth it compared to the goodness of God in eternity. There's a certain conversation that... um, Mark, the gospel writer, records. Um, James and John, I don't know if you know this or not, they pulled Jesus aside at one point. And they they asked Jesus for a favor. Uh, In Mark uh, chapter 10, they asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, when you get to heaven, can can we sit, one of us on your left and one of us on your right? I want to read to you Jesus' response to James and John. He said to them, you do not at know what you're asking for. Then he goes on to ask this question Are you able to drink the cup that I will drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am to be baptized? Now we know what Jesus was talking about. He's saying, Guys, are you truly prepared to suffer and to potentially give your life for the cause? And guess how they responded? And they said to him, we're able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you're going to drink it. And the baptism that I'm baptized with, you will be baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. He was saying two things. Guys, this is not going to be an easy journey. It's not. I'm not going to mix words here. The cup of suffering that I'm going to have to drink, you guys are going to have to drink your own version of it. But ultimately, guys, here's what I'm asking you to do. Trust the sovereign hand of God. It's not even for me to grant you a specific place in heaven. It's his. He's the one writing this story. James and John, you've got a part to play. But God and God alone gets to determine where we end up and how we get there. Even Jesus himself is teaching us how to trust the sovereign hand of God in our lives even when it gets hard. Even when things get difficult. Even when we encounter suffering. Jesus reminds us God and God alone is the sovereign author of your story. Now I want to pick this story up in verse 20. As you can imagine, when Herod hears that Peter is out of prison... He's livid because killed James, now he's a hero. Peter escapes, now he's going to look like a fool, right? And so he starts playing the blame game and getting angry at certain groups of people. In verse 20, we read that Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. So you've got these two countries who he's blaming here. Um, we're not sure why, but probably these soldiers that, that were supposed to be guarding Peter were probably from these countries. And so they come together with one voice, they're like, somebody please go to Herod and just beg him for mercy. So they sing Blastus, because he's, he's got access to the king, they send Blastus to ask for the king's mercy on them now what happens next is this in verse 21 on an appointed day Herod put on his royal robes now just to give you some more insight we know from uh, Josephus was a Jewish historian in this time and he tells us that on this day um, Herod literally came out in clothes that were woven together with silver silver thread 100% pure silver. So when he was in the sun, as you can imagine, it kind of created this illusion of radiant glory and reflection. And so Herod throws all this on, comes out before the people, and he gives a speech. It says that he put on the royal robes, he took his seat upon the throne, and he delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God, not of a man. And in this moment, Herod was beginning to become deity to the people. So, what do you you think is going to happen next? Let's read it. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Again, Josephus in church history is going to tell us that his death was actually an agonizing several days. He immediately was struck down with these abdominal cramping and just was doubled over there with no explanation why. And then he laid suffering in his bed for a few days, and then he passed away. I want to ask you a question, a really crucial question. Who's the main character of Acts chapter 12? Think about it. We might tend to think, well, Herod, because it starts with Herod and it ends with Herod, right? He laid violent hands on the church and then it ends with his death. We might think it's about James because he's the Christian who gave up a lot and he lost his head and he brought this other brother to Christ in his last moment there. Maybe you would think it was Peter because the vast majority of the story is about Peter being released from prison with this rescue from an angel. To answer that question, though, we've got to look at the bigger picture. I don't know if you remember from last week in chapter 11. What we read is this, that as the disciples of Christ begin to align their mission, their personal lives with the mission of Christ, begin to live missionally, what happened is that the hand of the Lord was upon them. We talked about that. That's a big deal when the hand of the Lord is upon you. And this chapter begins with the hand of Herod laying violent hands on the church. And so the answer to the question lies in who gets the final word here the hand of the Lord God is the main character of this story how do we know that look at verse 24 but the word of God increased and multiplied now what I believe God wants you to feel in those words is this despite Herod's best attempts despite the fact that Christians were losing their lives and guys like James were being taken out Guys like Peter are being arrested despite the fact that those things are happening. Ultimately, God is the one writing this story. The word of God continued to what? Increase and multiply. This powerful, unstoppable church continued to blossom and flourish and grow and multiply. You and I sit here today because of that statement. Herod could not stop the church. The death of, the, of, of James, the disciple, didn't stop the church. Despite the best efforts of man to persecute the church, the church continues today. We are part of the unstoppable church. Church. The story's still being written right now, today. And just like chapter 12, God is writing the story of the church through our individual stories. And let me ask you this crucial question. Who is the main character in your story? We know who the main character was in James' story. God. Right? We know who the main character was in Peter's story and Herod's story. Who's the main character in your story? Now, you may have never even thought about that question. One of the ways you can, you can find out is, is look at your prayer life. Write down your prayers. Who's the central character in your prayer life? Not wrong to pray for yourself and ask God to bless you and right, and work in your life, and, but who's the main character? Now, I want to end here today with you on a, on, a, on a couple of notes. First of all, and if you're here today and you're a Christian, um, I hope that um, God has maybe corrected some misconceptions in your mind and heart about who he is. He's a loving father who will allow his children to walk through hard things for their greater good. That's who God is. He doesn't always provide the easy way. Sometimes he rescues us from prison and sometimes he lets us lose our head. Why? Because his perspective is eternal and his perspective is internal. He doesn't get fixated with all the the things we get fixated with. And maybe today you realize why God hasn't maybe answered a specific prayer you've been praying for. Because you've been asking, but you haven't been submitting and saying, God, your will be done here. And then trusting God to walk you through that situation according to the way he sees fit. So I hope that that's happening in our lives today, in our hearts today. And God's just transforming the way we see him, the way we see the world, even the way we pray, the way we trust If you're here today and you're not a Christian, this could be like your first day in church or your thousandth day in church and maybe today for the first time you're realizing, okay, this is who God is. I wanna let you know some things. First of all, the journey of following God is a faith-driven journey. So God's not expecting you to go fix your life up and then come follow him. One, you can't do it. Ask the rest of us, we've tried it, you can't you got to have his help to get life fixed up, right? So God is not asking you to fix it all up and then come to him. What he's saying is, I want you to come to me in faith. I want you first of all, come to me in faith, believing that I'm real. Let's start there, right? Some of us need to realize that we're not God like Herod thought he was God, the gods of our own life, and realize, oh, there is a sovereign God of the universe. And not only that, the sovereign God of the universe loves me and is merciful and kind unto me. How do I know that? He sent his only son to die for me in my place. Holy cow, I'm a dad. That's a big deal. So maybe today you would come to that realization that not only is there really a God, but he truly loves you so much so that he would give his only son to take your place, that you would have forgiveness of sins, a relationship with God, and hope for eternity beyond this life. And here's how you get that. simply believing coming to God and saying I believe that you're real here's the mess that I call my life right let's just be honest here's the story I've been writing it didn't even make sense to me God here it is write a better story take my life and use it how you see fit if you choose for me to die in the gallows or serve in the mission field or simply live my life here in West Fort Worth looking for every opportunity I can take to share the good news of Jesus with people, so be it. Whatever journey you have for me, God, write a better story. And that's a faith move. And so maybe that's you today and you're ready. You're ready for something better. You're ready for a life of purpose, a life that makes sense, a life that has meaning beyond this life. Um, Today you you can make that decision by simply trusting in Jesus. I trust in you. Here's my life, take it. I'm ready to follow you. Um, In just a moment, we're going to have prayer partners um, at the back of the room. They're here every Sunday, excited and willing to pray with you and talk with you about becoming a Christian. And so when we stand to sing, um, our prayer partners will be in the back, and they have a lanyard on with a little badge that says prayer partner. Um, They would love to slip off into one of our prayer and counseling rooms and just talk about what God's doing in your life, what he's speaking to you about, and pray with you, even about becoming a Christian. Um, some of you may want to just stay seated and kind of think about how God's challenging you this morning and 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 maybe that would have to do with your prayer life or how you've been walking and maybe today God's kind of opened your eyes uh, to see the world a little bit differently and so maybe you just want to spend some time talking with God about that feel free to stay seated Um, the rest of you want to stand and sing with the saints let's do that Um, let's pray together as our worship team comes back up Father, we're so thankful for Acts chapter 12. Uh, God, in Acts chapter 12, we see so many things. We see see a faithful group of Christians that even in the midst of persecution and potential death are remaining faithful to you. That encourages us, God. In chapter 12, we see the faithfulness of James all the way to his death walking and living by faith and that inspires us God we see in Peter's rescue how your miraculous hand can do absolutely anything that you see fit to do and God we see in Herod's story that no weapon fashioned against you shall stand and no, no king will ever sit on your throne that you are the ultimate sovereign God of the universe. And through Acts chapter 12, we see that you desire to be our loving Father. God, thank you for this church and the stories that you are writing with our lives. God, we want our lives to count for something. We want our lives to represent more than just this moment. God, take our lives and use them for our good and your glory. God, any person here that doesn't know you, God, we pray that right now your Holy Spirit would stir in their hearts to take that step of faith. A step of faith that says, though, the the journey you have for me, God, may not be the easy one. I believe it's the better one, and I want to take it. God, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts now as we prepare to respond. In Jesus' name.